Welcome to another edition of the Injury Prevention Academy brought to you by Dorn Companies. For over 20 years, Dorn has been the nation's leading wellness-based pain management and injury prevention company. Through our customized ergonomic education, training, and tech solutions, Dorn has helped nearly 120,000 employees over that time. With an annual ROI of nearly 600%, we have saved employers over $100 million in workers' comp and healthcare costs. I'll be your host, Cheryl Roy, and we will be diving into the various facets of all things safety in the working environment. Hi, this is Cheryl, and welcome to another edition of the Injury Prevention Academy podcast. With me today is Sam Magalski. She has been the EHS manager for Emerson Automation Solutions in Colorado for the last two years. She graduated with a bachelor's degree in in chemistry and has been working in the world of EHS for over a decade. Her experience spans specialties from regulatory affairs, industrial safety, risk assessment, and hazardous waste removal, just to name a few. I have had the pleasure of knowing Sam personally during her years at Emerson and can say firsthand she is a delightful person. Uh, Sam is a mother of three and an active enthusiast for Krav Maga. She understands the work-life balance of working hard and working smart. Welcome, Miss Sam. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing wonderfully. How are you, Cheryl? I am great. Thank you for joining me. You're like my third or fourth podcast. This is very exciting. Thank you for the invite. I'm very excited. <laughs> so I'm going to start with just a couple questions for you. So you've got a background as a chemist. Um, how did you get yourself working into the EHS field? Like, how did you make that leap? Um, I think it's pretty uh, similar to most people's stories. I fell into it. Um, I worked in the paint uh, and pretreatment for the automotive industry um, for when I started after college. And I had a really good understanding of how the chemical reactions occurred when we were making either paint or pretreatment. And eventually it turned into, hey, you understand these regulations. How about environmental health and safety? And I thought it was really cool. So I decided to take the jump because I was fascinated by all that stuff. Seems to make sense. I like that. Um, So I also see that you are a safety manager for Nestle's Purina North America for almost three years Mm -hmm. uh, and Emerson for two. So basically what safety protocols have you seen that truly work, I guess, across the industries versus which ones tend to need tweaking or modifying? Um, I think it's how the safety protocol is developed and supported. I don't know that I can say that one particular safety protocol works better than another. Um, I think that when people feel engaged and involved in the process when developing the individual procedure for that site, um, people are more willing to follow it because they felt like they had a voice in its development. Um, But the support is also crucial because if a, a leader or a supervisor isn't seen following the same rules that everyone else has to, they're not going to follow it either. Um, why would I do it if my leader isn't doing it? And that so works it, in parenting as well. Do what I say and not what I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it uh, yeah, support and and kind of uh, involvement. I think really are what makes safety protocols effective. So that resonates really well. I know with Dorm, we try to keep everybody in the loop from the employees to management, to HR, to everyone, because all the input is what's going to get things safe done and then just keep people in a good place. So I agree with that statement. Um, But what has changed, I guess, in the last couple of years since the pandemic? Because obviously the whole world got riddled with this and injury prevention in general. 
probably became more of a, a reactive thing versus being proactive. How have you guys handled that? Yeah, um, definitely went into the reactive mode. I think we were more focused on uh, dealing with the pandemic and then dealing kind of with the labor shortages with people when they were out sick um, and how that affected other people. And I think really there was an emphasis that developed on mental health um, yeah. and personal health that wasn't there before. And because of these strains that were seen from team members not being able to show up and other people just dealing with stress at home and at work and, and how that all kind of interplayed in physical safety on the job and off the job. Yeah, I'm really hoping there's not more issues, but I feel like a lot of places are leaning more towards proactive um, protocols just because who knows what's coming down the pipeline next. So yeah, that's, ugh. yeah, we're definitely now switching more to a more proactive um, approach for certain things. I mean, now we have some framework in place that I, I don't know that people necessarily thought that we needed. And so now we don't have to take the time and the energy to develop that and react now that there's a framework established. Hopefully sure. people are keeping up on it. Um, so <laughs> what would be your biggest uh, injury prevention concern? And you're a company of about what, 500 people, I want to say. Um, how do you look at that when resources may be limited? Again, I know that the labor shortages and the pandemic kind of just changing the whole model of how people work. Um, in companies your size, I, I guess, how do you start to look at things differently? Um, really, it comes down to messaging. Um, what is the, what is the message? Are you saying safety is a priority and we need to work on these preventative things, but there's this huge push towards numbers and everything is focused on, you know, maybe how many units you're getting out the door, how many total pounds of product you're creating. Um, I think the messaging is super important. Um, and I think that what you're asking people to do and the messaging that you're sending out there from the safety perspective, they need to align. People are not dumb. Um, if you're telling them safety is number one, but you're telling them I need you to come in for 14 hours today to make sure that you're making this insane amount of units, they know that you're not focused on safety. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so the messaging just has to be consistent and it has to, people have to be behind it. it. It Everybody knows when you're just trying to fake them with a smile and a really nice cute tagline. <laughs> that won't, that won't take you very far No. <laughs> at the end of the day. So yeah. I am going to notice this, Miss Sam. You're female. Yes, <laughs> um, yes I am. According to the US, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, the EH, EHS industry has a total of about 7,230 people employed in the U.S. So about a 27% of that um, total is are women. Uh, this industry has been increasing over the years as far as the male to female ratio. Does this pose any unique challenges for you? Um, as in being one of the few women involved in the industry. Yes. Yeah, it does. Um, I've been very fortunate in my career, um, that I've had really great female mentors, uh, in EHS, which, um, I can say is, is pretty unique, yeah. um, from the female perspective, but I've worked with a lot of men because I'm in the manufacturing industry and have been, um, my entire career. And some of the unique challenges that are posed are your... <laughs> your expertise or your knowledge is frequently challenged in front of other people. Oh yeah. Um, where you don't, I, you know, I can very easily say that some of my male counterparts have not experienced that same challenge. Um, 
And sometimes you have your authority questioned on the job. Um, and having, I've had fabulous leadership support um, my entire career and most especially at Emerson. I mean, I only have glowing things to say um, about the support I've received from leadership there. Sure. There were some challenges early on in my career, um, mostly cultural. So you have to also think too, there, there are different cultures across the world and you know, where is your company headquartered and what is their culture like towards women? Sure. Um, and that played a huge role in actually me leaving my first position. I loved, I liked the company. I was there for seven years. Um, and essentially it, it kind of all boiled down to that um, women were not as respected in the workplace, especially when it yeah. came to expertise or knowledge. Um, but I've received great support since then. Um, but some of the nice things is, is things, things really are changing in the past several years, um, especially with women being in leadership roles. Uh, it's more commonly accepted. Um, I will say one of the most I would say one of the most interesting things I did is when I switched from my first company to my second company, mm -hmm. um, I went by Sam in my email instead of Samantha and the general perception changed drastically. Really? Um, I found myself, I didn't have to explain things anymore in an email. I, you know, with people that had never met me, I, you know, Sam dot, you know, my last name at whatever company I worked for. And I almost never did I have to say, oh, this is why I'm deciding to do this. It was, hey, this is my decision. Let me know your thoughts. And a lot of the challenging stopped. It was um, very, very eye-opening. And so I've continued in my career to only be called Sam. Um, you know, that's interesting. I, I think the stereotypes that kind of in, in any industry across the board female or not is, is really interesting. Um, I worked for one company where I was working with um, breast cancer patients and I am not a doctor. However, I also felt that people only listened to me when I wore scrubs. So it's kind of like wearing the football helmet. All of a sudden you're this, you know, NFL player and you're all these things. And the stereotype is there. When I wore scrubs, people listened to me a little more closely. So the perception of what your knowledge base may or may not be, it's unfortunate that we have to do things like that because maybe you love going by Samantha and I've been calling you Sam since I've met you, but I mean, you do what you got to do to get where you're going. Cause then once they see who you are and know that you're a wealth of knowledge and have the expertise and the background, the name shouldn't matter. The, the gender shouldn't yeah. matter. So I'm glad you found your way around that to gain the respect. And Emerson, I know is a wonderful company and all the people, there's a lot of people have been there 20, 30 years, which this day and age you don't hear about, um, which no. says a lot for your company. That's, that's great. So happy that you're able to do that, yeah. Sam. <laughs> Me too. I like um, Sam. I like Samantha. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I was called Sam my whole life. So, <laughs> uh, in the past when companies thought of safety, I know a lot thought of basically physical safety. How has that evolved over the last few years to include more like mental health, education, communication, support, just kind of the whole package where it's not just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I mean, things have, they've, since the pandemic, it really just it really catapulted, I think, people's focus on mental health and how important that is on the job. Um, because things at home affect 
affect you at work. You can't, you just don't walk in the door and you leave everything from home at the, 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 door jam and like walk in and you're a whole new person like that yeah, doesn't I hope you happen can do that <laughs> yeah right I wish <laughs> I wish um and so it's been really great that you know companies are really starting to look at kind of the whole picture of wellness for an employee and I think that matters a lot when people feel like they matter I mean they react totally differently towards the job um I can see the change even in myself from my last position to this position um you know they truly care about me as a person. It doesn't matter, um, you know, what, who I show up as work that day. It's, it's me and they know it's me and they, and they respect that. And you see that for other people. And I think Colorado, especially as a state, um, you know, with mandating a certain amount of sick days that are paid for people, I think is so important. I think it goes a really long way, um, to show that there's, we have needs too, besides being a worker and producing. Mm -hmm. So, I would venture and guess that communication is probably an integral part of having these um, protocols and things met when it comes to your employees. Do you feel by having better communication with uh, management employees or whatever, however that trickles down, are your employees welcoming of hearing their voices um, in, in any capacity? I feel like there's and other sites that I've worked with, some employees don't like being like the squeaky wheel, so to speak, because they don't want to have attention drawn to themselves as being a complainer, being hurt. Just They just want to get their job done, punch the clock and leave kind of a thing, which as anyone knows, when you're doing repetitive motion, it it, it gets to you at some point in time. Something yeah. happens in your life where it just builds too much. Um is, is having open communication something that you feel is openly accepted um, at Emerson? Yes, um, <laughs> I, I, it's it's a it's kind of a two pronged uh, two pronged response to that because you still have some of the folks there that have a very old school mentality sure. of I show up, I punch my clock, I do my job, and I leave for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the communication, it's not necessarily, it's, it's more about the personal relationships you build with people. And I'll say mm-hmm. that's a challenge that a lot of women in EHS face is a lot of, we have a lot of different perspective as women. Um, I mean, obviously everybody has a different perspective. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, but there's more of, uh, getting to know people, I think as a woman and understanding like why, what makes these people tick the way that they do. I'm getting to know them as a person. And I think once they realize that you actually care about them as an individual and you're not faking it, the communication opens way up and especially having this like positive reinforcement. So, Hey, thank you so much for bringing this up. I'm going to recognize you. And it not only just being an EHS person that's recognizing someone for an EHS concern, it's, it's their supervisor or their supervisor, supervisor, somebody up the chain to help with that support, to say, thank you so much for bringing this up. We appreciate Mm -hmm. it. It was not an inconvenience. You know, we're going to, we're going to help you out. When people start to see those changes, the communication opens up drastically. And we can actually see that um, happening right now. Uh, We have a brand new EHS team um, at my facility. And as more time goes on and they get to know us, we're getting more and more feedback from people and more communication. How do you guys use that feedback? Uh, I'm assuming it's inputs from everybody. It's not just like one mm-hmm. source. Do you feel that, um, again, I, I like to call them legends of the industry. Are you finding that you're getting more feedback from your newer, younger generation or is it evenly spread or are your, your legends um, 
again, kind of set in their ways where they're not as uh, old, they're more old school. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think the naturally the, the newer people entering the industry, the younger folks, um, some of the people that are just open communicators in general, that's just mm -hmm. who they are. We see more communication from them. Um, but really focusing on some of the legends and it's that developing that relationship. And that's where um, kind of the challenge is, is sometimes I think you're mothering them to begin with. Yeah. Um, and that's a challenge that we women have. Um, oh, you're too emotional or you're too mothering. And when they finally figure out like, Hey, no, I just want to know you about this person. Like, Hey, you're, you're nice. I, I just want to know you work with you, develop a great working relationship. Those legends really open up <laughs> and then they start yes. communicating their concerns um, and I think that's where it's just crucial to get into is tapping into that knowledge base that these folks have from having seen the industry change and how the techniques changed for what they're manufacturing. And there's so much to learn from those people and, and how can you make it better and what are the current challenges that they do face? Excellent. Um, I know that at your site, uh, again, I've been there for three years, um, they do pre con uh, pre-shift conditioning and warm-ups, which not a lot of sites in, in your industry do. I've seen it uh, occasionally. I've seen it done very regularly. I see that some people like you assign different employees, like, you know, you're the head of doing the uh, conditioning. And then you also see people who are really into it and are like paying attention and, and thoroughly doing the different conditioning and an opening of their chest walls and what have you. And then you see the people who are kind of like, all right, I'm going to wave my hands and I just have to do this because they want me to. Um, and those aren't always your legends. Those just might be people who don't think it's a, has a value. Um, mm -hmm. Do you guys make it a mandatory thing? Do you, how do you explain or somehow convey that this is for your benefit? This is for having a more copacetic, uh, body alignment as you get through your day. Uh, yeah. So actually some of the EHS team members participate in those stretches with people from time to time to kind of just show our support for them. And then we kind of notice like people that maybe aren't participating and we ask them why, Hey, we noticed you're not as engaged. Why is that? I don't want to force anybody to do anything they don't want to. I think that's when you end up building um, quite a bit of resistance and resentment. And you're, that's you're. especially as a woman where you get into like the, you're bossy, and yeah. you're, you know, kind of thing. Like you're mothering me. I don't need this. Like I have my own mom. Um, and I don't, I don't want to come off that way. So typically just asking people, Hey, why, why don't you see the value? And is there something that we can change to make this more valuable and getting the input and participation from those people? Again, it's just so crucial getting those people to talk about it. What do you like? Is this helping you? Is it not helping you? A vast majority of people say it's helping them. They love it. Um, it's getting them ready for the day. It gives them stretches to do when they're feeling maybe a little cramped up or they're starting to get fatigued throughout their shift. Sure. You know, we definitely encourage get up, stretch, use these stretches that we've developed for you um, that Doran has helped us develop. <laughs> and, you know, let's, let's leverage those. And if we need to change, let's change. Let's make it worth your time. I don't want to waste your time. <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure you don't want to waste your own time. So let's work together to come up with a good solution. And so we just encourage, um, it, you know, it's not a mandatory requirement. Um, I'm not going to force somebody to stretch at the beginning of a shift. I want them to actively and willing engage on their own because that's when the value is seen autonomy is there. They're taking responsibility yeah, oh, for their own exactly. health. Yeah. I, I get yeah. that. Uh, we, we try to convey like micro breaks. Cause then it sounds like you're, 
you're taking a break, but only a little bit just to kind of help reset you to at the very least, again, stand up, stretch, reset yourself before you engage again in whatever that activity is that you happen to be doing. So uh, I know from walking around, I've had a couple, again, it's just, you know, the person who's been doing this for so long and I don't need you and whatever. I, I have found people, again, with your older types who may have uh, previous injuries or hardware or surgeries or possible arthritis, there are some things they're not going to be able to do. So yeah. I, I do feel asking the questions of what can we do differently is super beneficial just because you can show them perhaps a modified version of a plank or you know whatever it happens to be that addresses a specific injury they might have or arthritis or just uh, they're not as... Uh, bendable in certain areas where they can move a little bit freely. So I think it's wonderful that you guys do take the time to address people individually because not a lot of people do that. So, okay. Uh, in the last two years, uh, things have truly changed in the EHS arena regarding safety and site leadership, frequently working together to create safety culture in the workplace. Now, I know we've kind of hit upon this a lot. Um, how do you see this partnership evolving over the next, say, like five years? Given that everyone's trying to be, again, proactive, not reactive, yeah. moving forward, how do you see that playing out for you guys? Um, I really hope to see that playing out with more, more talk about safety from the leadership that's not prompted by EHS. Um, I think having that autonomy to pick things that are important to your department um, I mean, I'm speaking really specifically to Emerson, but I, you know, we see the trend in the EHS industry of before a lot of only ISO certified companies were involving leadership and safety decisions. And now mm -hmm. you see that growing outside of companies that are not ISO certified or that don't seek an ISO certification for safety. Uh, it's, it's Will kind you explain of the, to our, to our listeners oh, and viewers yes. what that, what that stands for. It's an interna international organization of standards, but it's ISO instead of IOS. <laughs> um, and essentially it's like a steps to go above and beyond what's required of just your regulatory, basic regulatory requirements. It's sure. kind of showcases, hey, we're, we want to take a step and we want to be the best of the best and, and go above and beyond. Um, <clears throat> and I think there's a huge growth kind of piggybacking on back of, on the back of behavior-based safety on this leadership participation and focusing on, hey, say if you drive safety, there are other business benefits to it. And having leadership fully believe in that um, is really crucial. And I think the evolution is to get more and more of those leaders on board with kind of this change in thought process um, and having them drive safety in their own areas and it be more tailored. I mean, who wants to participate in just this big blanket thing, right? When you can develop something that's more meaningful and more valuable to you because it oh, actually sure. reflects what you're doing day to day. My engineers, they don't do the same things as, as my folks on the manufacturing floor. And so you can't just write a blanket thing for and say, okay, everybody's going to love this when, you know, 50% of your people are in engineering and they don't do any of that stuff. Right. Um, and so just getting that tailored, right? At all, we all have the same value or the same core belief. Um, but really making it valuable to every person. I mean, ergonomics in every position is going to be different on some level. I know there are uh, some companies that do um, previous to employment, they'll do some testing just to see if their employment uh, capabilities are, can you lift the 40 pound bag or box or whatever it is. Um, and I find that what's difficult with that is you'll see someone pick something up that's square and in front of them and 
You're just picking it up into a proper position where a lot of people are twisting and turning and grabbing from up here and putting it over there. And it's not really truly indicative of what the position's going to be. So again, it makes sense to not have, as you said, a blanket jumping jack or what have you that that isn't con you know conducive to everyone across the board. So having it customized to the varying positions, I mean, makes all the sense in the world. And I don't think a lot of people do that. So good for you, mm -hmm. Sam. Thank you. <laughs> well, that about wraps up um, where we are today. I want to thank you so much for making the time today to chat with us. Uh, is there anything else you would like to say about you or your company or the world of VHS that's just needs to be said? I don't know. EHS are people too. Don't be mean <laughs> to us. <laughs> We're trying to be the police. We really do want to be your friend. And that's a great way to look at it. A lot of people think you guys can be policing them, but again, having the communication there to make it more of an accepted betterment of everyone who's around you is you've got nowhere to go but up with that. So I appreciate that you guys do that. So I want to thank you again and everyone for tuning in and participating in the Injury Prevention Academy podcast. And until next time, 